You can be turning in your books, your Bibles, to uh, Ephesians. I almost said 1 John. <laughs> really appreciate the things that both William and Mike shared with us. And there's a lot to take in and to think about uh, that I don't want to make a lot of comments on or I'll be preaching a second sermon. But just thinking about uh, one of the things that Mike was sharing is this concept with the uh, Jews where they ask a question and answer it during Passover. I really liked uh, him doing the same thing with the Lord's Supper. Why do we do this? Because it's, it's a mystery that has been revealed to us, but it's a mystery that continues to grow in our lives. I mean, we can understand the very basic fundamentals that the bread represents the body of Christ and the juice is, is the blood, but there's so much more to it, or it's a concept that grows in our lives as we mature in Christ. When I was a very young Christian, I thought, after I read the Bible, that I knew everything. And you do. I mean, I, I remember very well when I, I, I would think I was about 19, I really thought there was nothing else to learn. And then I continued to learn and find out how little I know. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, as we come, a lot of times we say, well, why do we do this every week? Good question. And answer that question because it refocuses us each week. Something that we need to be doing for ourselves each day. But anyway, let's get to Ephesians, or we won't, we won't get there. We're looking at the second half of verse 13 and verse 14, which I have sealed with the Spirit, and I'd like to re-title that, Promise Fulfilled. God made a promise, and He fulfilled the promise. And He's done this through the Spirit. And as we've read through Ephesians, we've been told... Some things that are remarkable. And they're so remarkable, they're hard to believe. And I hope you've been able to stay up with, it, with me on this and think about these things and not just kind of let it pass over your head, but, but listen to what Paul is telling us about God. Because it's just, if you think about it for a little while, it's almost too good to be true. It's against all the stories that history tells us, all the stories that, that religions tell us from way back, as far back as we can know about religions and stories and philosophies. God, at best, as you read history and you read the different stories about who God is and philosophizing about who God is and searching for God, God is distant. God is someone that's not involved that much in our lives. Or if he is, it's not a very pleasant involvement. He's a God of our imagination. He's a God of anger. He's a God that is manipulative. All the chief gods of all religions are, are people or gods that we have to appease or cower before them. Or I find it, find it fascinating as I've read mythology, Fijian mythology, is that the gods, if we can, the, smart, the best, the heroes... The heroes of the story are the ones who manipulated the gods and got their way. They tricked God. 
And they're the heroes, and most of the time, God, the gods turned it on them and retricked them. But Paul here is saying, let me tell you about the true and living God. Let me tell you about what he's really like. And what a great God he is. He, three times through here, he says, praise to his glory. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. That word praise means just to talk about him. It's not just singing songs and raising our hands or something like that, but it's actually speaking of him and telling the good things about him. And he says, I want to tell you what about the great God we have. And he paints a God unlike all other gods, unlike our imaginations, unlike our fears. He's a God who blesses us. He's a God who chooses, and this is remarkable, he chooses to look at his, his, his people. He chooses to look at those in Christ as holy and blameless. Even when we're not practically holy and blameless, if you're in Christ, he chooses to treat you that way. He adopts you into his family, all the while being pleased to do so. He wants to do this. He sees our dire situation. He sees us struggling in sin. He sees us struggling with our death. And so he pays that price for our sins, as Mike was sharing with us during the Lord's Supper. He sets us free with forgiveness, in forgiveness. He lavishes this all upon us. He makes known this mystery, this plan that he's had from the beginning, revealing to us our, his divine plan. And, he, and we saw how he worked out all of history to bring us to this point. And over and over he says, this is all wrapped up in Christ. This is wrapped up in Christ. I don't want you to miss that, Paul says. And so I think around 14 times he says, this is in Christ. This is in him. It has nothing to do with your work, your power, your ability to get to this point. It all happened in Christ. And you don't deserve it. But we allow Christ to take the center stage in our lives. We heard the word of truth as we read. We responded to the good news of salvation. And not only for our past sins, but for our present life. Our present life as we walk through life and struggle with temptations and desires and lust and, and fighting sin. He takes care of us right now. takes care of our sins right now. And then regarding our future, we have that hope. that Not that wish, but that firm anchor of hope. That what God promised he would do, he will bring it to completion on that day of redemption. And we respond. Our response to that message is faith and trust. Okay, I believe it. I put my trust in you. And then what happens? We doubt. <laughs> Before we know it, we doubt and we're struggling. And every Christian I've ever talked with, including myself, goes through these times of questioning and doubts. And how can I know this is true? And how can I know anything? And how can, how can God... Forgive me when I knew what I was doing was wrong and I still did it. And how does God forgive me? And how does he cleanse me? And bad things happen in my life and there's sickness and there's death and there's struggle. Where is God in all of that? And so God gives us another gift. And it's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's there to help us relieve us of those doubts. Let's read 13 and 14 together, and I have it on the screen if you'd like just to read it there. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I want to warn you that we, this possibly will leave you with a lot of questions at the end of this lesson. And maybe not all the answers you're seeking. And that's okay because that's where Paul leaves us. Paul just introduces the Spirit here. And guess what he does in the rest of Ephesians? He introduces him all throughout Ephesians and says, And I want to tell you this about the Spirit. And I want to tell you this about the Spirit. And, I want, and he goes through and he hits you. And that's how we're going to approach it too. So we're just going to introduce him and look at it. And then you might walk away saying, Well, you didn't answer all my questions, so I'll have to come back. Good, and you'll have to hear the rest of the story. We are marked with a seal. That's the NIV's translation. What, a, what is a seal? That We're not familiar with seals on a daily basis. I think we all know, to, in a sense, what a seal is. But we don't know, on a, I, I don't know, if, unless you're a notary, if you used a seal this week, or you saw even saw one. But there's a seal, and it's, it was used in the first century during this time much as it is today, a lot of ways. We make mark official documents with a notary seal or some other kind of seal. I'll never forget one seal that made an impression on me when we originally went to Fiji to get our visas. We had to, I had to go down to uh, Madison County Sheriff's Office and get them to uh, research me to make sure I had no felonies and then write a letter that said, uh, no arrests, no felonies, no whatever, and bring that to the government of Fiji before they would approve my visa. And when that came back in the mail, and I was clear, that was good, uh, there was this beautiful embossed golden star seal on that. And I said, I know that's going to make an impression on, the, on whoever the bureaucrat is to approve my visa because, oh, it's beautiful. But it was a seal that said, this is from the sheriff's department, and what we are saying is true. So the seals in the first century are similar to what we use today. First, it shows a document is true. It's genuine. This, this is a true document. That's, that's what it's saying. You buy a house or you take a loan out, and there often will be a seal attached to the paperwork that will say, okay, this is a genuine document. So you can't come back later and say, oh, no, I, I, that's not my signature. That wasn't me. I don't know what that is. There's a seal on there with your signature that says, no, you agreed to, the, to, this, uh, to this document. Second, a seal shows ownership. Uh, at the same time, ownership is established by a seal document. If you uh, pay off a car, you get a title and it has a seal on it. It says, that is yours. You own that now. And third, it shows security. Now, this you might have seen this week. You open a vitamin bottle, you open a medicine bottle, and what does it say on the outside? Do not use if the seal is broken, all right? It establishes security there. Jesus' tomb had a seal on it that said, do not open. And if, if the seal is broken, we know someone came in here and opened the seal. And so in the same way we see this, this is a seal. It says, you've been marked with a seal. What's the seal? The Holy Spirit's the seal. The Holy Spirit was promised 
to believers. And the question is, is when do I receive this seal? When do I receive the Holy Spirit? And we talked at, at the end of last lesson, there's a point in time for all major events in our lives that we can look back and say, it was at this point that I was married. Laura knows Mike's spiritual birthday. He, he forgot about it, but he said she wrote it down, and he can point back to that and say, on this date, that's when I came into Christ. The moment of in Christ. All through here it says in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And so where is this moment? In Ephesians here he says the moment of having believed. When you believed you were marked in him with a seal. Now what does that mean? That word believe means active faith. It's not just saying okay I've, I've become cognizant that there's a Jesus and that yes I believe he was the son of God. It's not at that moment but it's an act of faith that, that causes you to do something. And, and the tense is a point in time. There was a point in time. There was a birthday. There was a point in time that you were sealed. Just like when the notary takes that paper and he squeezes down on that little device that they have. There's a point in time that you are sealed. And he says, so what is that point? And we see a couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. That's the time. That's when you were sealed with the Holy Spirit because the gift is the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5 verse 32 just kind of repeats it in a way. It says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So it's at that point of obedience that you are sealed with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. It's God's gift. This seal we receive when we obey him, we are sealed with the, the Spirit. And this, as I said, this tense goes back to a point in time that says, it was at that point. All right, it's, not, it's, a, it's a point time uh, verb that it's talking about there. And it points back to our baptism. When we were baptized into Christ, we were gifted with the Holy Spirit. That's the seal. We receive forgiveness. We receive this, the mark of the Holy Spirit. And when we looked at these three different items of being genuine and so, so on, what, how does that apply to us with the Holy Spirit? It does it this way. Our seal marks us as genuine and true children of God. You can point back to your spiritual birthday. We, every month, we do a silly thing here or a fun thing or a good thing, whatever you want to say, where we sing happy birthday to everyone who has a physical birthday, and then we say a spiritual birthday because we're trying to go back to that point and say, we're happy that you came into the world physically, and we're happy that you came into Christ spiritually. And so we are true and, and genuine children of God, and you can look back to your birthday and say, that's when I became a child of God. Our seal states that we're God's own. We are God's possession, as the, as the passage says here. We are God's own. We are God's possession. We are his, as we looked at last week, his special treasure. I love that. 
When God looks at you, he says, you're my special treasure, my treasured ones. Our seal provides security. It's a deposit guaranteeing something, guaranteeing our inheritance. He says, you think you have it good now, you're going to have it great later. You're going to look in the future. I'm giving you the deposit of the Holy Spirit right now to let you know you are guaranteed for the inheritance that is going to come when the full redemption comes, when Christ comes again, or when you go to see him in death. That's your, the time that you're going to receive the full inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the seal that marks the authenticity that I am in Christ. I live an in Christ life. And all through Ephesians, Paul's going to explain this. He's going to get into some specifics about how that looks like and what that looks like in our lives. And we'll address those as we come to them. But now, I want to ask the question, well, you know, tell me a little more about it. How do, how do, what do I see in my life because I really don't feel the Spirit working in my life? A lot of people struggle with that. I don't feel the Spirit working in my, in my life. So you say I'm marked with the Holy Spirit, but all right, tell me how that works. First of all, we have security in an insecure world. We live in an insecure world. The, the Spirit's work is to ground us in what is true. What is true? This week, I've, I've, I've talked to and listened to some things where, and, and just this morning, I listened to a three-minute little podcast. And I, I don't want to go into detail here because I'll go get too much detail, but this person, bottom line, gave up her husband, gave up where she was living, gave up everything because it made her feel right. And I was like, well, I hope it, I don't know what you're going to feel like later, but she said, she said, my husband was a wonderful person. It just didn't feel right. We need truth. Is that the, is that, where's the truth? If it's anchored in our feelings and led to, man, we're going to be in a mess. But, but God gives us truth. John chapter 16, verse 13 says here, but when the spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, the spirit, not just the spirit, but the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You want to know what truth is? It comes from the spirit. When the spirit comes, he's the spirit of truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. And so the spirit's power, this mark of the spirit confirms our relationship with God. That's true. It, it also comforts us in God's promise. You know, I've never been to heaven. I've never met anyone who's been to heaven. And I've come back, I've read the little books that I'm not, you know, the weird books about going to heaven and coming back. If it's one of your favorite books, I'm sorry, but I just, I don't put a lot of faith in those books, all right? I really don't know what's going on there, but I do know this. He promised, God promised a forever time with him, whatever that looks like. When people ask me what, what that looks like, I say, you know, the Bible really doesn't tell us. All I can know is that if God said it, it's got to be great. And I have a lot of questions about it. I mean, do you get bored in heaven? If you're, I hope we just don't sing all the time because maybe we can have a little Bible study while we're up there. I don't know. You know, something's going on. And I used to think it's just going to church all the time. As a kid, I thought, oh, man, if that's heaven, oh, just going to church all the time. I think it's going to be much greater than that. 
He gives us stability. We, have, we can anchor ourselves in truth so we have stability in the midst of instability. The world's seal is this, instability. That's the world's seal. That's the world's mark. Just think about it. No matter how well the economy is, we're always being told there's a recession around the corner. The economy is going pretty good right now. And yet I heard a, uh, on the radio a, a, um, uh, an ad selling gold that you just never know what's going to happen. So you better buy some gold because of this economy might fall apart. And I guess, guess what? One day this economy is, is going to take a nosedive. There's always a financial uh, uh, crisis around the corner. Our jobs are insecure. You never know when a boss is going to fire you or demote you or give you a raise or not give you a raise. You never know when the government's going to shut down. You just don't know all these different things. It's instable. Health is precarious. Accidents, sickness, death. We live in a highly breakable and shakable world. That's the mark of the world. You cannot think of one thing in this world that's stable. The weather is not stable. Your wealth is not stable. Strength of mind, your friends, is, they're all, none of them are stable. The only constant, the Bible says, the only unshakable foundation is God. That's it. And sin is our effort at trying to replace that security of God with anything else. No matter what it is, whether it's our money or whatever idol it is, it's taking God and saying, I don't believe that you're giving me security, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anchor my security somewhere else. That's what sin is. So again, you say, well, okay, fine. Good foundation. Practically, what's the Holy Spirit? What does it look like in our lives? That's what I want to know. Want to get down to the practicals. And again, a caveat, we're going to hear more about this as we go along. Number one, the Spirit does not call attention to himself, but he calls attention to Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. John 16, 14 says, He, which is the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus. Jesus is talking here. So anytime you see the Holy Spirit at work, the emphasis is on Christ and not the Holy Spirit. All right? And this is important because there's a lot of books, there's a lot that is made, uh, just um, emphasized, that calls, spirit, uh, calls attention to the manifestations of the Spirit. And there's a big movement in this world about miracles and speaking in tongues and physical proof that the Spirit is at work in my life because I can point to this, this event, this thing that happened, some experience that's emotionally satisfying, and I can point to that and say, see, the Spirit is at work in my life, but we don't, what we miss is Jesus there. Now, that should throw up a red flag that if you're focusing on anything and it's taking you away from Jesus, it's probably the wrong thing. And so if the focus is on the Spirit, then you're focused on the wrong thing because the Spirit's work is not to focus you on Him but to focus you on Christ, all right? The Spirit calls attention to Christ. This, the work of the Spirit always needs to be looked at in the, content, the context of Christ. So any emphasis that's placed or any stress that's placed on the Holy Spirit that diminishes or distracts you from the character of Jesus, then you miss the point. We sang songs today about the name of Jesus. 
How many times do I have to tell you what that means? Forever. I'm going to tell you forever because I have to keep reminding myself. It's not a magical name. The name of Jesus is the character of Jesus. When we talk about the name of Jesus, it's talking about his character. And so the Spirit's work is to just lift up the character of Jesus over and over in front of us and then say, and that's how you live your life. That's where you make applications to your life. And then the Spirit lifts up. How does he do this? He lifts up this, the, the Christ through his people. Let's look down in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he says, And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. And so the Spirit's work is worked out through his body, the church. We're, again, going to see this as we develop it through, throughout the Scriptures, that, uh, throughout Ephesians, is there's this concept this truth of us working together as a group. And the Bible doesn't call it a group, but it calls it a church, a people, a body. He uses a lot of different things. And the emphasis is not on the individual Christian, but on the group of Christians together. And so we're glorified. Jesus is glorified, lifted up by the Spirit, as we work together as a group. He is bringing together divisive people into unity. Our nature is to be divided. It's to be individualistic. It's to do it my way. And he works with the body, bringing us together to work together. He, he, the work of the people is to build up one another, to strengthen one another, to help each other for the glorification of Christ. And that's the evidence of the, of the Spirit working in us as we look around us and we see people in our body changing, working, doing things that they would probably have never done under their own power. We're encouraged by them. We see what they're doing. And then we, see, we don't sit there and say, oh, that's wonderful. I, I want to pick out somebody, but I won't. That's wonderful, Joe, if you're Joe here. Joe... Look at what he's done. But we don't glorify Joe. We glorify Christ working in Joe as we work together as a body. Number three, though, the Spirit changes our character. 2 Corinthians. Let me get over there. I didn't put a mark in my Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, one of my favorite passages, where he says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect our mirror, the Lord's glory. We're looking at Jesus. We're looking at his character. We're looking at what he does. And the more we look at that, the more we become like that. And he says, and are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, step by step, more and more as we go along. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So part of his work is to change you, to mature you, to help you as an individual grow in Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a sub subjective, abstract power. But he works through his written word. He lifts up the holy capital W word, the word Jesus, that produces in us the character of Christ. And when, we, when our lives lift up Christ in front of people. 
when our attitude becomes more aligned with his, when our words are seasoned by his words, then that's the spirit at work in your life. The mark of the spirit in our lives. This seal or this mark is evident in our personal lives and it's evident in our church life. The Bible never says anything about my personal relationship with God. Our society says a lot about that. But the Bible, as far as I know, never speaks about your personal relationship with God, but it says a lot about our lives together with God. It's obviously personal, all right? We're not saying this because you're making personal thoughts and personal decisions. But it begins with me, but then it's incorporated in, a, in the body, in the church. Because I'm not the whole body. I'm just a very small part of the body. Right now, I'm the mouth of the body. <laughs> but that's all I am. I'm not the ear. I'm not the feet. Not at this point. But later on, you know, I might be the feet. But you're just a part of the body. You're not the whole body. And so it begins with me, but it's incorporated with the whole group working together. I need you and you need me. We need each other to, to do this. Change that takes place is personal, but it's facilitated by you. You help me change as you function as the body should and as the word fine-tunes us together. And we'll see more of this in Ephesians. The word of the day, purity, that we looked at. Purity any Christ-like attribute, characteristic, is the spirit at work in our lives through the scripture transforming our minds. We can easily get that wrong. And William did a great job of getting it right. But we can get it wrong by saying, I'm going to work hard at being pure. I'm going to work hard at being... And suddenly we realize, we, we think it's just me doing the work. It's a self-help type of approach. Here we let the Spirit work with us through His Word, the Scriptures. This is the means. This is how the Spirit works. And I have both ways. You have a book. Well, you can take that off for a second. A book <laughs> and a device. A lot of people use books. A lot of people use devices. But this, this is important. This is necessary. There's a strong movement Today And there always has been. It's not just today. That tempts, attempts to demean the scriptures and replace it with my personal experiences. I'm personally acquainted with a church in Australia. That at the time that I was working with them, they were, they were thought to be the most dynamic church in Australia. And I went and worked there, did some teaching there. Um, went to their building, and it was a cool building. I mean, it was cool. It had the neat posters. It had neat stuff. But, it, but red flags would come up the whole time because you know what they were doing most of, the, of their time was sharing personal experiences. They didn't even have a sermon. And I'm not saying keep me as your pulpit preacher. But I'm saying they didn't have a sermon. They didn't have Bible. The Bible class I went to, they read a scripture and said, what do you feel about that? And I'm going, I feel like hitting you over the head with a Bible is what I feel like. But, you know, I was a visitor, so I didn't say anything. And it wasn't long before that church died, totally died. 
because it was replacing God's word with how they felt even about God's word. And it's dangerous to do that. It's wrong to do that. It's common for people to, to talk about the spirit working separate from the scriptures. And you hear things like, well, God spoke to me. I feel God's leading in this. Uh, instead of, you know, the scriptures call me to do this. And I'm not saying that the spirit doesn't, I, you know, I always, you have all these caveats. I'm not saying that the spirit doesn't work in our lives. I'm just saying be careful that, we're, that if we're looking at, just like if we look at the spirit's work instead of Christ, we're looking at the wrong thing. In the same way, if we're looking at the experience that we're having, instead of the guidance from God's word, we're going to eventually go down the wrong road. It's the seeking of experience over instructions. It's, it's the wish that the Spirit would perform a quick fix on me instead of me making the effort to make the change in my life. Another way we see this in a subtle way is, you know, we don't need intellectual studies of the Bible. We study the Bible all the time. We need to fill in the blank. We just put too much study, you know, Bible study. Bible study is cold and clinical and dry and impractical. And we demean the Spirit's work in our life when we say that. The Scriptures, as you study them, and thus the Holy Spirit, does not teach a cold, clinical, ivory tower, intellectual, formal, legalistic approach. And I must say, if I come across cold, clinical... Ivory Tower, intellectual, formal, legalistic, I apologize because that's not my intention. My intention as we look at the word is not to approach the word that way, but to approach and say, what does this say about Jesus and point us all to him? And whatever areas that I'm weak in and don't do a good job of that, I pray for your grace so that you can see Jesus and not me. The scripture is the means by which he changes us. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The Holy Spirit does not save us apart from the scriptures. And what I mean by that is this. We would know nothing worthwhile about God. We would know nothing worthwhile about Jesus. We would not know anything about salvation we would not even know how to live our lives apart from the Scripture. We can look at nature and learn some things about God. We can look at history and learn some things about God. We can see God's work in history. We can even look at the lives of one another and see God at work. But none of those things will save us or clarify to us what we are to do. The only way we know is by going to his word, the revelation. He gave us revelation, and he said, this is, this is God. How do I know that God looks at me as holy and blameless? How do I know that? Because my experience says he does not. I know it because the word told me. He said, those in Christ are holy. God looks at you as holy. I am a holy person. You know why? Because God told me I am. Because I'm in Christ. That's how I know. 
Not because I had a good feeling this week about myself. Because I had plenty of bad feelings. Can we give too much attention to the Bible? I think so. Yeah, some say we can, and I think so. And we can do that if we place our attention on the book instead of who the book is pointing us to. And there's a danger in that. I came up with these things, trying to, to communicate. The Bible is like a map in which we would be lost in this world without it. The Bible is like a compass, and it's pointing us to the truth. All right, the compass doesn't save us, but it points us to where we go, the truth, Jesus. The Bible is instructions on how to live given by the one who created us, who made us. Who, this is our manual of how to live. The Bible is a menu instructing us about the bread of life. The Bible is a well directing us to the source of living water. It's something that points us. It's not, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the one the Bible tells us about. And, there's a, and it's easy to, to have such a focus on the Bible that we miss who the Bible is talking about. We see that in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 says this. First part here says... You study the scriptures, Jesus said, diligently. And that's a good thing. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. Jesus is telling this to the uh, Pharisees. And so he says, pointing into the Bible, but he says, but these very scriptures, they're the ones that testify about me. And what is implied here is you've missed the point, Pharisees. You've so focused on the word of God that you've missed the capital word of God. You focus so much on this book that you've missed Jesus. You can do that. And so if, if you hear that I'm putting such an emphasis on this book that I've missed Jesus, you've missed, I've, I've miscommunicated. I'm saying the emphasis is here so that we can learn about Jesus so we can become like him. The mark of the Spirit is a life that is God-praising, maturing in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, working through the scriptures and in his church. And then you say, but I'm dissatisfied with my life. I, I just don't feel like I'm where I should be. Let me end by saying this. If you don't see the changes in your life, it's probably not the spirit not working in your life. Because what we want, we say, Holy Spirit, come and do something to me. Change me. It's probably that you are not cooperating with the Spirit's directions. It's not so you, you look at your life and say, but I, you know, I, I want, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. Okay, start cooperating with the Spirit. You know how you do that? Just open up your Bible and start reading Start looking at what he says. Start making these applications to your life. Start working with your body members here. They will help you, point you to the word, help you point the way you're supposed to live. And when we do that, when we're looking, studying in the word, and I've told you this before, when I, when I sit down and counsel with someone, I think 100% of the time, 100% of the time, when I ask them the question, they come to me with a sin problem they're struggling with, I'll ask them, so tell me what you've been studying in the Bible. You know how much they've been in the Bible? 
Zero. You can say, yeah, yeah, I'll read the Bible. When? When was the last time you read it? And they have to hum and haw. Oh, uh, sometime, sometime this past month. You're not in the Word. If you're not in the Word, the Spirit, you're not cooperating with the Spirit. And again, we're going to go into Ephesians here and see how we do that. Quick application. You want to know about Jesus? Study the Gospels. You want to know how to live your life? Study God's Word. You want to know how to apply it to your life? Get busy with other Christians, and they'll help you do that. And so we go into God's Word. We study it. We start making changes in our life. We're cooperating with the Spirit. We're glorifying Jesus as we do that. We're praising God. And we invite, and I apologize for a little bit long, but you needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. So our elders are here, and I know 